You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled, What is Necessary in These Urgent Times? This is Lecture 6, entitled, Conditions for Understanding Supersensible Experiences, given in Dornach on January 18, 1920. In the future, it will be impossible for human beings to arrive at any true understanding of themselves or even any true feeling for their true being unless they first establish a relationship to initiation science. For all of the things that human beings are able to experience in the world, without having any relationship to initiation science, do not contain any of the powers from which their beings are actually formed. In order to understand the picture that I am offering, you need only to think of some things that are already familiar to you from our anthroposophical reports. You need only to think about the fact that, in addition to the life that human beings experience between birth and death, every human being also experiences another kind of life between death and a new birth. Just as we have experiences here on earth through the workings of our physical corporeal being, We also have experiences between death and a new birth, and these experiences are absolutely not insignificant for what we are doing here as we live out our lives on earth. Furthermore, these experiences between death and a new birth also have a not insignificant effect on everything that happens on earth in general. Indeed, Only a portion, and it is actually a rather small portion, of the things that happen on earth are caused by those who are living in physical corporeal bodies. The dead are constantly at work in our physical environment, and the powers that people living in this materialistic age will not even mention aloud, they are indeed there. It is not only the powers of the upper hierarchies that reach out from the spiritual world and have a hand in the physical world. Rather, there are also powers integrated into all that surrounds us and affects us, streaming out from dead human beings. As such, a full understanding of human life can be achieved only if we take into account both the things that can be experienced with and learned from the senses and what can be learned from history here on earth. In the end, these powers that stream from the spiritual world are the one and only thing that will make it possible to understand all of humanity and the entire course of human evolution on earth. A time will come in earth evolution. It will be some time around the year 5700 or so, when human beings if they are if they have followed the proper course of their evolution will no longer walk about on the earth incarnated in a physical body that is a product of physical parents 
I have often pointed out that in that time in history women will no longer be able to bear children. Human children will no longer be born in the current sense of the word if the course of human evolution follows its natural course on earth. We must not give in to any misunderstanding about such a fact. It is also possible, for example, that the following would occur. The Aramonic forces, which have grown very strong under the influence of current human impulses, could lead earth evolution astray. They could, in a certain sense, pervert the natural course of earth evolution. If this were to happen, then by the late sixth millennium, to the detriment of humanity, human beings could continue to maintain the same kind of physical existence in life. They would by that time have become much more like animals than human beings, but they would be able to maintain the same kind of physical existence. This is one of the things that the Aramonic forces are striving to do, to disrupt the normal course of human evolution by binding humanity to the earth longer than it should be. But if humanity understood the best possibilities that awaited it in the course of its development, then in the sixth millennium it would simply move into a relationship with the earthly that would continue for another two and a half millennia, a relationship in which human beings still maintained a connection with the earth, but a connection that no longer involved giving birth to physical children. The human being would be primarily a soul-spiritual being. To describe it more vividly, human beings would become a part of the clouds, the rain, the thunder and lightning. They would resonate through and in the phenomena of the natural world, and, in a still later period, their relationship to the earthly world would become even more spiritual than that. It is only possible to talk about these matters if one has some concept of what occurs between death and a new birth. Although there is not an exact parallel between the way in which modern human beings are connected to the earth between death and a new birth, and the way in which they will be connected to it when they are no longer physically incarnated, there is some similarity between the two. If we follow the true sense of human evolution, then in time we will eventually come to relate to the earth and its phenomena in a manner that is more or less similar to the way in which we now relate to it between each death and each new birth. The only difference is that our current lives between death and rebirth are somewhat more, shall we say, spiritual than the relationship that we will eventually come to have with the earth. But no understanding of these things can be achieved for a long time unless one turns to initiation science. Most people these days believe that achieving some understanding of the nature of existence by means of initiation science involves collecting spiritual experiences, but not in the same manner that those experiences were once given to us through our physical body. 
The experiences, won by purely spiritual means, are valued more highly today than the insights that can be achieved through healthy human understanding. This prejudice results from the fact that this healthy human understanding is not made use of in any sort of healthy manner these days. <laughs> Everything that an initiate is able to ascertain and then communicate to others could also be discovered if you were simply to give it the proper amount of effort through a precise application of everyday healthy human understanding. And the most important task of an initiate is above all to translate everything that he or she ascertains about the spiritual world into the language of healthy human understanding. Much more depends on whether this translation into the language of human understanding is done properly than on whether one is able to have experiences of the spiritual world. Of course, it is impossible to bring anything to the attention of human understanding unless one has these experiences, but the raw, unprocessed experiences that have been won but not interpreted through the lens of healthy human understanding are worthless and have no actual or positive meaning for human life. If people condemn the application of healthy human understanding to these supersensory experiences, then it does not matter how many of them are collected because they will be of no use to humanity's future development. On the contrary, these experiences will do humanity considerable harm, because a supersensory experience is useful only when it has been translated into the language of healthy human experience. And the truly unhealthy thing about this period of time is not that human beings are not having supersensory experiences. People could have plenty of those experiences if they wanted to. They are out there. People are simply not using their healthy human understanding to arrive at them. The thing that is missing these days is precisely the application and use of this healthy human understanding. This is, of course, quite comfortable Excuse me. This is, a, this is, of course, quite uncomfortable to hear in an age when people pride themselves, especially on having and using this kind of healthy human understanding. But our greatest weakness in this present moment is not connected with our ability to have supersensory experiences. Our greatest weakness is actually our lack of healthy logic, of truly healthy thinking, which in the end is also the power of truth. In the moment that falsehood asserts itself in the world, supersensory experiences fade away. In that moment, people lose their ability to understand supersensory experiences. People do not want to believe this, but it is the truth. The first thing that you must do if you hope to come to terms with the supersensory world is to scrutinize your sensory experiences with the most meticulous honesty and truth. Anyone who does not treat sensory experiences with this kind of exactness will never arrive at a true experience of the supersensory world. You can listen to as much 
as you want about the supersensory world, but all that you hear will be nothing more than empty words if you do not process everything that comes toward you in the world with the meticulous eye for truth. But, observing human beings these days, and the way that they avoid the truths of the sensory world, will leave you with a rather dreary picture. For most people these days do not process something that they experience in such a way that their formulation of it reflects what they actually experienced. Instead, in reflecting on and forming their own picture of their experiences, they turn them into something that they would have wanted to experience, into something that is comfortable. People have no idea that they are experiencing impulses that cause them to veer in one way or another away from a true understanding of their physical experience. If we turn away from the particulars of any one instance of this, we will come to see the many different impulses stemming from everyday human connections that cause people to manipulate the truth in one way or another. Stepping back from it even further, we will come to see that most people cannot tell the truth about certain things due to their commitment to national ties or something similar. People who are committed to the idea of nationalism in one way or another can neither tell nor think the truth in the sense that we are speaking of truth today when it comes to certain matters. For this reason, almost no one has found anything excuse me for this reason almost no one has said anything true about the experiences of the last four or five years because people everywhere have been speaking from the standpoint of this or that national interest. If one hopes to come nearer to the supersensory world, it is necessary to understand that an endless number of things are due to this fact. In an age where things such as what I characterized to you yesterday are possible, do you think that in such an age there are many open pathways pathways to the truth? There are not. Those people who are stuck in swamps of falsehood, those people spread a smoke and fog that let nothing through, nothing that a healthy human understanding should be able to take from supersensory truths. People are just as uninterested in understanding truly and clearly that a direct connection between human beings is necessary if these supersensory truths are to take hold in social life and society. It is not possible to twist the truth on the one hand and then intend to understand supersensory phenomena on the other. When you say these things out loud, they seem to be almost self-evident, but they are in fact not self-evident at all. Indeed, we all need to remind ourselves of them constantly. This is the only way that we will eventually arrive at what is needed now in connection with these things. Think about what I have been saying during our days together about the key principle of human society, something that must be taken very seriously. It must be grounded in trust, in the sense to which we have referred to it here. 
In many respects, this trust will also be necessary in the future, regarding our knowledge and understanding, in relation to the fact that those who are in a position to speak about initiation science are listened to neither with antipathy nor with sympathy, nor through the filter of any sort of personal feelings. The things that they say must be considered only by healthy human understanding. By this means, it will always be clear that the anthroposophical society should continue to be a genuine bearer of supersensory truths in this world. This will allow it to do an incredible amount of necessary and meaningful work in the course of human evolution. Now we must also keep in mind that collecting experiences of the supersensory world is obviously a serious and important matter. I spoke to you some time ago about how a friend of our group, who was brought near to death by a wound he suffered during the World War, wrote down some lines in which he describes that in the face of death the air around him hardened, became like granite. When I spoke of this, I drew your attention to the fact that this was absolutely a true experience. If you consider the most elementary things that appear in reports about crossing the threshold into the spiritual world, you will be able to gain some sense of the seriousness of the matter. As we go about our lives during the daytime, all the things that are around us are illuminated by sunlight, and they are also illuminated during the nighttime, for that matter, since we have electric lights now. Things are visible to us by means of the light's illumination. In a similar fashion, our other senses also perceive the things that are around us. In a moment that one crosses the threshold into the spiritual world, one must then, if I limit myself to the example of sunlight with which I began, become inwardly united with the light. One cannot see things by way of the light, because the light must be drawn within. We can see something by way of the light only when the light remains outside of us. When we unite with the light inside ourselves, then we can no longer see the things that the light illuminates. It is in that moment when our soul being unites itself with the light within that we realize for the first time that actually our thinking is one with the light that weaves throughout the world. The fact that our thinking is bound up with our physical body is true only for as long as we have a physical body. In the moment that we leave behind this body, our thinking is not without any foundation or other connection. Rather, our thinking is interwoven with the light. Our thinking lives in the light, is one with it. However, in the moment that this light takes on its connection with our thinking, we lose the possibility of having an eye, capital, in the same easy manner in which people have an eye between birth and death. In that time between birth and death, we do not need to do anything in order to have an eye. Our bodies are formed in such a way that our being is reflected in them and it is this reflected image of our being that we call our eye. It is an accurate reflection of our true eye, but it is a reflection all the same. It is simply an image reflected in a sort of mirror. 
It is an image thought, a thought image, and it dissipates in the moment that the threshold into oneness with the light is crossed. If we were not in that moment to find another framework for our I, then we would have no I at all. This I has been worked on and prepared in our physical corporeal body during the time between birth and death. It is lost in the moment that we leave behind our physical body and we can continue to have an experience of our I only by becoming one with what we may call the planetary forces, particularly the different forms of the planet's gravitational forces. We must in fact become so unified with the planets, with the earth, that we feel ourselves to be a limb or extension of the earth, the way that one of our fingers senses that it is an extension of our organism. In this connection with the earth, we find again the possibility of recognizing our I. Thus we must say, from the perspective of initiation science, that human beings are alive with the forces of earth and concern themselves with the affairs of the world, illuminated from within. For the experience of those beyond the threshold, this statement is comparable to the following statement describing our experience here. We live in our physical bodies and think about things. In our lives between birth and death, it might be said that we live in our physical bodies and concern ourselves with things in our thinking. As soon as we leave behind our physical bodies, we must say, quote, we are alive in the forces of the earth and concern ourselves with the affairs of the world, illuminated from within, living in the light. When these things are spoken in this way, when they are illuminated as we have just done, then they are absolutely comprehensible for healthy human understanding, regardless of how a person might otherwise think about things. And even the initiates will gain nothing from their supersensory experiences if they do not properly develop their healthy sense of reason. When you think in such a way, please take note of what I am about to say, because it is quite a serious matter that you are able to meet and fulfill every demand that is set before you today in school tests and exams, when you adopt patterns of thinking that allow you to pass with highest marks all of the tests that your professors give you, then your healthy human sense of reason has become so addle-brained that even if a million supersensory experiences were laid before you, you would see as little of them as you might see of the physical things in a darkened room. These things that make us acceptable to our materialistic age are the things that darken the room in which we encounter the supersensory worlds. People today are used to thinking in a way that is only appropriate for thinking about the physical world. They are trained to grow accustomed to this way of thinking from a very young age. But a healthy sense of reason is not something whose development is founded in the physical body. Its development is founded in a liberated spiritual state. 
But this liberated spiritual state is taken out of us in the earliest years of our schooling. Even in those early years, the teaching materials are such that they take away the ability to develop in this free spiritual state. What good will it do us when these important truths about the time we live in are hidden entirely from us? People may not understand why we are undertaking the work of the Stuttgart-Waldorf School, but this Waldorf School shall, at the very least, offer a small section of humanity the opportunity to escape the addle-brained nature of these times and to have a genuine possibility of moving freely about in their own thoughts. Unless we see these matters with an understanding of just how crucial they are, we will not be able to move forward. The tendency today is toward the general and the unspecific, which you will see confirmed in the following. People are drawn toward anthroposophy or something like it because they are tired of the typical outdated forms. They want something new. But the new thing that comes along is still supposed, wherever and whenever possible, to wallow in the same swamp of all the old forms of human judgment. I have come to know many people. It is not advisable to beat around the bush when it comes to these matters, who have felt it to be true that anthroposophically oriented spiritual science has something true to say about the mystery of Golgotha. But in and among these people there are those who only believe this to be true because by declaring their belief in it they became less offensive to the church, people who consequently found this anthroposophical spiritual science a more opportune choice than some other form of spiritual science with a different relationship to Christianity. Now, of all these people, excuse me, now all of these people believe in something that is the truth. But some of the people who have taken it up have not done so because it is true, but rather because they saw in it a good opportunity. Naturally, it is quite uncomfortable that we must admit to ourselves that the representatives, and even more so that their followers, are taking up the truth, at least outwardly. It rubs off on the non-believers as well. This cultural historical phenomenon must therefore be carefully considered. If we want to draw closer to the spiritual world in the proper way, We must have an interest in all things, but must not be greedy in our curiosity about anything. It is, however, so easy for people to confuse interest with curiosity. In fact, we need not learn to think about things differently. Rather, we must learn to relate to them differently in our feelings. If, in the end, anthroposophically oriented spiritual science receives a kind of cloak that allows it to play a role in tea parties and salons or other similar things in this day and age, it will do nothing to aid this spiritual science in the true fulfillment of its task, for its task is a genuinely serious one. The oppositional forces that are asserting themselves in so vile a manner these days are simply products of the fact that people have noticed the following. 
The the society here is not a sect, not a familial society that lots of people want to be part of. Rather, it is something seeking to meet the impulses that our times so urgently need. But what do most people care about the impulses that our times need? If only they could feel the burning desire to have some part in a new religion. This egotism of soul that so many impress upon philosophically oriented spiritual science must be overcome. If we truly want to understand this spiritual science, we must have a genuine interest in the general affairs of humanity. We must take interest in these broader affairs. These broader concerns and connections will manifest in what appear to be the smallest phenomena of life. But the entire structure of our feeling life must be altered in a certain way if we hope to direct our healthy human reason so that it becomes a part of the correct stream of spiritual science. Let me say that again. It is necessary to alter the entire structure of our soul life in a particular manner if we hope to integrate our healthy sense of reason into the current that flows over humanity through anthroposophically oriented spiritual science. But how is our sense of reason directed currently by modern culture, which is so mired in materialism? It is oriented in such a way that we feel ourselves to be primarily physical, corporeal human beings. Here we are standing with our knees and our muscles, with our nerves. We feel like a physical human being. And if we were to draw this, we would see that our body acts like a mirror that encounters our eye, like so. There's a picture. Yes, you see here that your true being exists somewhere in the spiritual regions. Over here is your physical body. Your physical body becomes a mirror and casts back a reflection of the eye, capital. The eye has an existence over here, but the image of that eye is reflected back in your physical body. You are aware of this reflected eye when you look over here, pointing to the physical body. Look over here with other human beings from the place in which we all reside, even though most people nowadays are not aware of that place. And so your eye is reflected back to you by your physical body, as are your thoughts and feelings and will impulses. All of that is reflected back. And behind this reflected eye, there we find the physical body, and we human beings call the images we see reflected before us our soul, and behind our soul we catch a glimpse of our physical body. We grasp at that physical body. But this mental picture, the physical body lying behind and the eye emerging in front out of it, this mental picture must be drastically altered. This is an altogether passive depiction, for in it we only feel or experience thoughts because our physical bodies lie behind us. We must learn to feel and think differently. We must learn to experience the following 
in our thoughts and feelings. We exist within a spiritual world. Here are not plants or minerals or animals. Here are angels and archangels and archai and the other beings of the hierarchies in which we live. And when an individual is filled through and through with, impregnated by these spiritual beings, the I then streams outward. This I streams outward from the spiritual world. We must learn to feel this I. We must learn to feel that each of us has an I within us, behind which the beings of the hierarchy stand. Just as the physical body, composed of the three kingdoms of the natural world, stands behind this I, which is only a reflected image. We must move out of a passive experience into one that is fully active. We must learn to feel, I create my true I from out of the spiritual world. Then we will also learn to feel, the reflected image of my I is given to me through my body, which belongs to the realm of physical being. This is a reversal of what we might sense inwardly, and we must learn to settle into this reversal of that inner sense. This is what is important, not collecting data. There will be plenty of data to collect once we have first come to experience this reversal of our inner sense. Then, when we think in this active way, thoughts will come to us that will be able also to fructify our social thinking. If we experience only our reflected I, then we will always arrive at a consideration of social thoughts originating, as I said yesterday, in a simple rearrangement of our pre-existing language. Only when we desire to be active in our true I will we achieve truly free thinking. This free thinking still existed in humanity in earlier centuries, not so long ago really due to the continued existence of certain atavistic soul conditions. Purely out of instinct, people considered it to be an ideal to achieve this kind of free thinking. We must accomplish the same thing consciously in the future. There is a visible evidence of this need. Take a look at the doctoral diploma currently issued at Central European Universities. People typically are not simply awarded a doctorate, Rather, they are promoted to the rank of doctor and master of the seven liberal arts, arithmetic, logic, rhetoric, and so on. These titles have no meaning any longer, for nowhere in the modern university will you find these seven liberal arts. This is a carryover, a vestige, from an older time, in which freeness in thinking, the development of a soul life that could raise itself up to free thinking, was what people sought in university life. People no longer have any understanding of what, in quotes, liberal arts are. The reason they are referred to as arts is because the striving after them took place outside of a sphere that could be perceived purely by the physical senses, in the same way that one developed the artistic life of imagination and fantasy, free and independent from sense perception. What is referred to in these university diplomas did at one time exist, 
just as many other things that we still find in the outward form of university life also existed, this magister artium liberalium is a very characteristic thing of this modern age. And consequently, we must be clear about the fact that this kind of self-understanding must again be stirred to life and activity. But it is not comfortable, for people nowadays would prefer to get around on crutches and not on their own two legs. In any case, this is what they tout as their ideals. They would prefer that all of their thoughts be taken out of physical sense-perceptible reality. The idea that what must actually be thought must live in the free world of the spirit is something that people find uncomfortable, since it truly demands a separation from the comforts of life, a separation from everything that carries us through our soul lives as supports, as crutches. And if anyone speaks their perspective with thoughts that have absolutely nothing to do with the sensory world and were created out of totally free intuition, then people have no understanding of what is said. This is why my book titled The Philosophy of Freedom was not understood, because it can only be grasped by a person who truly desires to develop free thinking, one who is truly a master of liberal arts in an altogether new way. These are the things that must be understood with the proper feeling and the proper sense of seriousness. In particular, I would like to say to our English friends who are here with us only for a short time, it is important to regard the emblem of this building, the Gertianum, built here upon this hill as a physical symbol. This building is to stand here so that by the fact of its existence in the world we might be able to say, quote, you all may prefer to think in the old ways to which you for centuries in your sciences have been accustomed to think, and in doing so you will lead humanity to its downfall. In the manner you find comfortable you might find a crutch in socialism, but in doing so you will validate those things in you that contain the seeds of death and downfall. Quote. Today it is necessary to discover free thinking for the soul life, a thinking as free as the architectural, sculptural, and artistic forms out of which we have attempted to build this building. That this truth might be spoken somewhere on the earth, not only through words but also through forms, this is what we are trying to do here. And we should all feel that here, through these forms, something different is being spoken, something that cannot be heard anywhere else in the world. We should all feel, also, that what is being said here belongs to something incredibly essential in all branches of scientific and social life for the continued evolution of humanity, regarding both its knowledge and its society. Now, I would like to say the following primarily for the benefit of our English friends, though naturally I am speaking to everyone else as well. You will see that the possibility exists, the possibility that the intent that was present at the outset of constructing this building might be lost over time, that in the future, in the very near future, this intent might no longer be present in the form that I have just described. What would happen then? This building would remain incomplete, for it still requires a great amount of sacrifice. 
Without that great sacrifice it cannot be finished. This building will remain unfinished. It will stand here as a torso without limbs or head. This could be the case, that this building has to remain here as nothing more than a torso. Whether it ever becomes something more than just a torso depends on people bringing a proper understanding to the will that is to serve this building, an understanding that I have attempted to bring to expression before you in these lectures. Do not regard it as some sort of deviation from the idealism of spirituality when I say that physical money and materials are necessary for the construction of this building, when I draw your attention to the fact that without this money or these materials this building could not exist. You could say, well, this is materialism. True spirituality should have no interest in such material concerns. But if, for example, you were to go back to England, you would be presenting an incorrect perspective if you were to arrive, and in this present moment upon which so much depends, to say only that this building will soon be finished, when in actuality there is the very real possibility that it will remain as nothing more than a torso. It would also be entirely incorrect if you were to say, yes, now it is just a matter of calling forth spiritual aid for its completion. No, when it comes to idealism and spirituality, the point is not to be miserly about material sacrifice. Being miserly when it comes to material sacrifices is not a sign of true spirituality. And when people do not properly understand the things about which I am speaking now, Many people have it somewhere in the back of their minds. Uh, since this is a spiritual matter, there is no need to bring any material sacrifice to bear upon it. And, and so we can feel astounded, be amazed by spirituality, have reverence for it, hang upon it lovingly, and still keep our wallets shut tight. It will not do to serve our spirituality in this way. It will not do to keep our wallets shut so tight. On the contrary, we demonstrate our true understanding for what is to happen here when we treat our idealism and our spirituality such that we do not say we can be idealistic and spiritual with a closed hand and wallet, but rather open our hands, open our wallets. In actuality, much depends upon those open wallets. Only then, when we open our wallets, does the material truly become something insignificant, does it not? And so let us not consider it such a significant act, shall we say, to open up our wallets. If we consider it with the appropriate understanding of its insignificance, then we come to the heart of the matter. But to do this requires a certain strength in us, for, of course, we must approach other people and ask them to make a sacrifice. They will not want to do, so, do this immediately. It is also not a matter of doing this in such a way that we present the matter in a form that the people already understand. Many times people have told us, for such a, and such a person who might then open up his or her purse for us, I also do not believe that many of them really would open up their purses or wallets, but nevertheless, for a person who might open up his or her wallet for us, we should at least, the way that you might coat the perch in glue in order to catch a bird, we should at least do such and such a thing so that they can easily understand. 
But this is precisely the crux of the matter, that in doing this we are bringing a new understanding to those with whom we speak, and that they should be ignited by it, that they are opening their wallets for something that must necessarily light a fire under a lot of people. What is important is that they are to open their wallets for something altogether new, something that they do not as yet understand, and also that they are to open up their wallets for a spiritual effort. You see, I am seemingly speaking about something that is also material. But, my dear friends, what I am saying to you today is something I have not said for many years, and I can assure you that not speaking of it has helped matters far less than my speaking of it, I would hope, will help now. I have, I would have gladly left it all unsaid, had not speaking actually helped anything. And this is why I have said it now, to help in the future. It is so necessary, my dear friends, but do not believe that in saying it I am trying to demand something from you. Go to England now and tell the people there that they want money and doorknock. This is not what I mean at all. On the contrary, the important thing is that money is altogether worthless and of no real consequence if it is not used in the service of something that is most spiritual, if it is not used to work toward the goal of making what we are intending to accomplish here resonate spiritually throughout the world. If that does not come to pass, if it cannot come to pass that the spirit which is to be embodied here finds resonance throughout the world, then we have no need for this building, then it might as well remain nothing more than a torso. And so, on the one hand, we serve with complete devotion the spirit that is desired here, and on the other hand, we make it possible for this spirit to be in the world at large. I can assure you all I would not have made this appeal to you today if it were not absolutely necessary. Have enough trust in me to believe that I made the decision to appeal to you in this way out of a definite necessity, because I saw that it was necessary. Trust enough not to merely think after you have sailed across the English Channel. We are spreading the spiritual teachings now, and, by the way, over in Dornach they are hoping to get their building finished, but that is just a material concern. It would be more comfortable for me to be able to say this to you, but it simply will not do, for it is absolutely necessary, my dear friends, forgive me, to speak this bluntly and directly. For everything that is to happen in the near future, we are going to need a lot of money, truly a lot. I am not saying this to you out of greed, but rather I say it for this reason, because the manner in which I have just had to speak to you is the only way of keeping what we have begun here for being left forever as a torso and nothing more. And so I would like to direct this request in particular to our English friends, that you all, when you arrive again on your green island, do not forget when you are with your friends or elsewhere to do work also in this realm, somewhat uncomfortable to me, that I have just spoken of in a very particular tone. It is very, very important. Next Friday at seven o'clock we will have our next lecture. For now I would only like to add that I was, of course, speaking just now also to those who are not going across the channel in the near future.